of time and space. Everywhere and anywhere, every star that ever was. Where do you want to start? Hello and welcome to a brand new series of All of Time and Space. I'm Ian. And I'm Mark. And this time round we'll be looking at the Planet of Giants, which is story one from season two. And what um, what what happens in, in Planet of the Giants? Mark? Well, I'm glad you asked me that, Ian, because I've got the blurb from the back of the Target book here. So uh, just to get everyone up to speed. Ooh. The Doctor is feeling confident. This time the TARDIS has landed on Earth, in England, in 1963. But when he and his companions venture outside, they're soon lost in a maze of ravines and menaced by gigantic insects, and the insects are dying. Every living thing is dying. Meanwhile, in a cottage garden on a perfect summer's day, the man from the Ministry arrives to put a stop to the production of DN6, a pesticide with the power to destroy all life forms. But the men who invented DN6 will stop at nothing, not even murder, in their desire to see DN6 succeed. Can the one inch tall doctor foil their plans? Well, we'll find out after this. The most dangerous moment is at the point of materialization. The most dangerous. Close the door! What do you mean, close the door? Close the door! They opened. Doors opened before we properly materialized. But what does it mean? We have been reduced roughly to the size of an inch. An inch? I can see a huge leg coming. You'd do anything to get what you want, wouldn't you? There's nothing but death all around us. The experiment must go through. It gets more horrifying every moment. <laughs> can get us back to normal size. Oh, you know? yes, of course I can, dear boy, yes. Barbara! Of course I can. I hope. And welcome back. And I'm really pleased to say we're joined today by one of my podcasting heroes. <laughs> it's Eric Escamilla. Hello, Eric. Hello, it is me. Uh, yes, um, the genuine article. <laughs> Glad to be here. Not as big as my normal studios, but um, this will do. <laughs> well, we didn't get the rider until ten minutes ago. I'm still trying to get the bowl of M and M's, but take out all the brown ones <laughs> yeah. and all the put in more yes. of the. the uh, just give me another five minutes, basically. No problem. I'm working no on problem. It. I'm working on it. Thank you. No, it's it's my honor to. A little bit come out of my Doctor Who podcasting hiatus or retirement. Not really retirement, but hiatus. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I'm always happy to talk about it, that's for sure. That's never changed. Well, that's good, yeah. I mean, without wishing to gush too much, one of the reasons why I got into podcasting in the first place was I really loved a podcast out there called Mostly Harmless Cutaway, which was 
produced by a certain Mr. Eric Escamilla. And that got me hooked. And I just loved that show. And I figured, well, maybe I could have a go. Obviously, nowhere near the sort of quality that you guys <laughs> could do, but... Uh... That's so silly. That's so silly. I mean, thank you, but it's it's just us mucking about is what it always was. Uh-huh. But I appreciate it. And actually... It entertaining mucking about. It's probably been at least a year and a half since there was a release on that feed. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're hearing 2018. it here. What's that? 2018 it you was said 2018 really okay uh-huh. so two years but um who's counting but you know you'll hear it here first <laughs> mark's counting <laughs> i sit there every day refreshing the feed and there's just nothing going on i mean it's like chinese on, democracy all over again <laughs> oh dear <laughs> uh, well i'm here to, to say it out loud first which is that myself and josh and sean we actually did record something relevant to new who man but we recorded it i don't know uh-huh. six eight months ago something like that and i've just uh-huh. been sitting on it a brand new mostly harmless cutaway so um mm-hmm. just keep egging me on and i shall release well, it's just that. like the good old days because you used to have you know hundreds of episodes lying around it's, uh, it's almost like the the doctor who missing episodes many of those <laughs> are still all over your cutting room floor it's true many of those are still lying around i still have them on external hard drives there are still Mm -hmm. a fair amount of unpublished episodes but i definitely had the intention of releasing this latest recording since it actually pertained to current who and everything it was actually topical for once Mm -hmm. um so everyone Mm -hmm. if you know me on twitter egg me on and perhaps that will see the light of day sometime soon because it's it's ready it's there you may regret having said that (laughs) all right I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, it's a pleasure to have you along for the ride. It is. Um, But before we go any further, I think it's probably time to test the guest. Um, Eric, it's time for you to face the mind probe. No, not the mind probe. So, um, the the quiz this this time, Planet of Giants, which we're here to talk about, is the first story from season two of Doctor Who. So I want you to tell me which TV series the following episodes are all taken from. They are all season two, episode ones. Does that sound vaguely sensible? Yes. Okay. Ready. Excellent. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, we've got... We've got ten questions. I'll read them all out, oh, not in one go. Um, give it your best shot. You'll be judged. You'll be rated. And if if we if you if you do very badly, you're going to get tossed into the time lash. So um, I oh. would try and avoid that fate if I were you. I like time okay. lash. Fun fact, but go on. Well, there's there's always one. Okay, question. <laughs> Eric has dreamed about being tossed into the time lash. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's move oh, on. Tossing with tinsel. Okay, so uh, episode uh, number one, When She Was Bad. Which show is that? Season two, episode one of. 
My goodness, I have... When she was bad. I have not a clue. I, I do not know. And these are all random series, okay. by the way. Uh, these are all totally random TV shows that I've spent the afternoon Googling. When she was, um, no, I'm and, sorry, I don't know. And this, this was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I actually did Question see it. Number okay. Oh well, good. So you, I mean, yeah, I couldn't remember it was called that either. But um, yeah, number two, uh, New Earth. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, that would be Doctor Who series two. That would be a point to you, sir. Oh, thank number you. Number three. Number three. Guy walks into a psychiatrist's office. Hmm. I don't know, but I'm just gonna throw out the Sopranos. <gasps> it is the Sopranos. There what we an go. Excellent guess oh. that was. There well we done. Thank you, me. All Number right. four, or uh, question four, I should say. I should try and sound more sort of presentably, shouldn't I? Question four: <laughs> The North remembers. Okay, let's just go with Game of Thrones. It is the Game of the Thrones. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Number five. Redemption. <laughs> hmm. I know I'm going to be upset when you tell me the answer. Um, but I'm just <laughs> going to go with the series Lost. It's not, I'm afraid. It was the series Blake 7. Oh, I would not oh. know that. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I realize that now in my stupidity. No, no, uh, no. I, no. <laughs> I should have watched Question it. Question six. Question six. This is another uh, series two, episode one. This one's called Amok Time. Oh, yeah, of course. Star Trek, the original series. Oh, well done. Yes, classic. Absolutely. Uh, the next one uh, is... 737. Mm. Mm. Jesus, sounds like this could be lost as well. Um. <laughs> Jeez, I'm just going to go with lost again. It was not lost, it was breaking bad. Oh! Okay, oh. easy one next. Easy one now. Number eight In the Shadow of Two Gunmen. You said easy one. Um, I did. Uh, that was that was possibly misleading. The shadow, because <laughs> shadow of two gunmen. Hmm. That doesn't ring any bells. Oh. I hope not to be okay. angry when you give me the answer. Well, the answer was the West Wing. Oh no no. Oh. Okay, I wouldn't know that. Okay, um, number nine. A lie agreed upon. going to go with Grey's Anatomy, even though I know nothing about the show. Ooh, no, I'm afraid it was Deadwood, the classic western oh, from another one about I haven't 10 seen years before. ago. You haven't seen Deadwood? Oh, I'll, I'll no. lend you the box set. It's fantastic. I have access to and it. And finally... <laughs> uh, oh, good. Oh, well, that's interesting. Finally, <laughs> question number 10. This is a season two, episode one. 
May the giant be with you. Um, I'm gonna go with Fraggle Rock. <gasps> oh, oh, I'm I'm literally bleeding. That was Twin Peaks. Ah. Oh. So very I'm, much the same, to be fair. Right, you, you and me after school. I'm gonna I'm gonna duff you up, Cockrum. Uh, Eric, I calculate through the medium of looking at my little scribbles that you've got four out of ten. Oh. Better than so I thought. I'm Congratulations, afraid, Eric. I'm afraid at the end of the episode you are going to be tossed into the time lash quite vigorously. Oh, goody. By Mark. What a way to go. Oh, <laughs> goody. <laughs> I look forward to that, by the way. So, <laughs> I just want the audience to know I was in no way prepped for that, not even to know there was a quiz, much less the topic of the quiz. <laughs> Nobody expects the quiz. Well, I mean, I'm, I was amazed you got the Star Trek one right, because you're not a big Star oh, Trek no, fan, are you, Eric? Not at all. Uh, fun fact, I try to include uh, one oblique Star Trek reference in every Best Picture podcast, but I forget. Uh, sometimes that's why they're not always there, but I do have one ready to go just about every week. So, uh, Mark, do you want to lead us off on today's topic? Yeah, we should really get to the matter in hand. We are going to talk about Season 2, Story 1, Planet of Giants. Uh, so this is an idea that has been kind of thrown around since the very inception of the programme, and they wanted to make it the, the opening story, and that didn't really pan out because they realised that the budget just wasn't there to achieve the story that they had commissioned. So it got held over to season two. They went with a new writer with a different idea. And what we got was Planet of Giants. Can I uh, come in like a juggernaut at this point and say I, I support that decision? I think this would have been a very <laughs> terrible thing to go into on the back of an unearthly child. Um, it just would have it would have set up the show as this kind of weird magical box of delights kind of thing rather than the show it is now so um that's my two penneth very agreed um with that statement it would have been really really confusing because you would just think it, i mean if you want to set up the premise that it's a quote-unquote time travel show um you're really muddying things up at the very very beginning um if you do uh, a different type of change of dimension right off the bat uh, it would just be very confusing. Um, you would just think it's a fantastical show or just fantastical things happen in general. Now, Eric. Yes. The, one of the reasons for me, apart from you being a great podcaster, one of the reasons for me asking you to come on this particular show is that you have a particular penchant for stories where the characters become teeny weeny. Yes. Well. <laughs> Yes, mostly that, but it can go the other way. Um, mm -hmm. Something could could get okay. made larger in scale as as well. Um, kind of go both ways mm -hmm. in in the, in that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I more describe it as when something when there's a significant change in scale. But more often than not, it is uh -huh. our protagonists uh, shrinking. Sure, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And we did not discuss mm -hmm. this either prior, but. I suspected this was the reason um, 
you were inviting <laughs> me onto this particular episode. I highly suspected this. And mm-hmm. that is true. That is how I have long felt. Um, independent of Doctor Who, it's something I always had a thing for. And it really jumped out at me this episode when I saw it for my first time um, approximately mm-hmm. nine or ten years ago. Okay. So how would you have seen this? Was this on like um, well, cable TV? Or? No. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Doctor Who is, uh, aside from the new series, but classic Doctor Who has virtually never been on cable television ever um, in okay. the United States. Uh, there was other ways and other means. Of course, you have your PBS thing, don't you? With the in the old days, that was you the do way your fundraisers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was definitely mm-hmm. the way in the old days, but that kind of ended after the nineties mm-hmm. for most people, uh, not all, but most. Right. Um, no, but this particular story, it was probably it was already out on DVD in the United States as well um, at the time mm-hmm. when I was seeking it out. But even then, I don't think I saw it that way. Uh, I may have seen it, um, the three parts being posted on YouTube or one of the other services like uh, like Daily Motion or Vimeo or something. Um, uh-huh. And I think yeah. I did it that way. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, the reason I got to it, and I don't remember exactly when, but it was probably around 2011, 2012, something like that. It was because I finally decided to start sort of a, uh, not a rewatch, because a lot of it was my initial watch of all of Doctor Who from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So I was going through, obviously, the Hartnell yeah. um, time, and I was mostly buying them all. And for some reason, I didn't. Maybe it was already hard to get. I don't remember what the reason why I didn't actually buy it. But I had started going story by story of the existing Hartnells. And I just came up to this one, like, in the mm-hmm. order. Um, and I didn't know anything. I knew almost nothing about it. Uh, I had heard bad things about it. Pe- I mean, people were telling me, oh, okay, yeah, Planet Giants. Oh, get ready for that. But I, but no mm-hmm. one uh, spoiled anything about about the story or the plot or what it, it would even deal with. So I flew into it blindly, not expecting the story to be what it is. Yeah, it's certainly a change of um, tone, I think, from what we've had so far. Can you imagine too many children's shows today that have someone being murdered? And <laughs> uh, you know, it's this quite—it's pretty full on, isn't it? It by today's standards, most don't. But there, there's a few subtle children's shows, at least in America. Uh, I don't want to take a, a side trip, like I am known for. But Clone Wars, the animated, uh, well, it wasn't Disney originally, but the animated Star Wars series uh-huh. um, was supposedly billed as tele- uh, children's programming. And I love that show. Yeah. I've watched it all. But I've constantly railed that it has to be the children's program with the most, the most death and suicide and torture um, throughout the series. <laughs> wow. Uh, and it really is. And it's, it's a little mind blowing in that way. Mm-hmm. But. If you give me some more time, I think of another, a couple, a few other modern children's programs that seem mm-hmm. a little bit questionable, but a bit murdery. Well, let's give you a bit of thinking <laughs> time, Eric. Mark, uh, when did you yes. first see Planet of Giants? 
Oh, blimey. Um, I think it must have been on the DVD release because uh, way back in the day in the 90s, this is another difference between the US and the UK. So as we mentioned many times before, uh, the BBC weren't really that uh, keen to repeat Doctor Who on network TV. So the only way you could really get a fix of Doctor Who on broadcast TV was to go to satellite TV. And there was a station called UK Gold. And um, they acquired the rights to show the old stuff. So I watched a lot of the old Hartnell stuff on that. But I don't remember seeing Planet of Giants. So I think it must have been on the DVD release. Uh, So yeah, relatively recently. Okay. Do you have what it? about you, Ian? Have oh, you seen this before? I saw it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it this morning before I had my toast. Mm. Wait, that's your first viewing, so, or no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so I haven't really watched a lot of sixties Doctor Who. I mean, the War Games, the Unearthly Child, um, <laughs> War Game, probably a couple of others. But I was very much an eighties child and 80s fanboy so um mm-hmm. yeah it's a big fan of the war games aren't you eric that's <laughs> that's, that's a long going uh <laughs> meme or whatever you want to call it on my podcast uh because to, uh-huh. to date there's approximately five or six existing stories that i have never seen and as i was getting approaching that that number when the number was shrinking 12 11 10 when i was starting to watch those mm-hmm. i'd never seen the closer i got to zero the more I started to feel like, oh, I kind of want to cherish these, or I want to save them for a moment of big discussion on the uh-huh. podcast. So the War Games, because of course mm-hmm. I knew it was going out of print in the United States when it was a long time ago, I secured a copy, yeah. and I've had it for all these years, and it's still wrapped in its cellophane, and my friends who know about it think I'm crazy for not Oh, cracking it open and watching it days <laughs> so i've been saving I, it for some special time <laughs> just to get you up to speed eric um <laughs> we're we're in the middle of a global pandemic there are numerous countries around the world who used to be considered you know relatively decent countries who are now appearing to go the way of sort of totalitarian some might even say fascist regimes okay um, I'm writing this down. What is it going to take for you yeah, to what, break what that Mark seal is saying on the war is the world is on it. fire, and if you don't watch it now, then what in the hell are you waiting for? <laughs> I thought you guys were going to say I need to watch it now more than ever because it's germane to our times. That's that's the angle I thought you guys were about to take <laughs> right now. Um, uh, Just I don't, watch it while you still got the chance. I don't know. I don't want. To, I I don't want to. Uh, what's the word? Um, it's is it it's not really I'm also known for malapropisms but uh <laughs> I don't know if it's breaking the fourth wall or not at all when I say uh I'm aware of the global pandemic <laughs> that sounds funny but <laughs> if you guys were in my sphere in south central texas it while it has affected me it hasn't affected my life very much because of where I am geographically mm-hmm. so when I hear what you guys are saying or what other friends in other places are saying or when I just turn on the news, I almost feel like I'm viewing it's like it's like the what is it called? Uh, the the that portal in the classic Star Trek episode, uh, the doom uh, not the doomsday. but the one you know uh, 
Oh, City on the Edge of Yes, Parappa. that episode, and I can't remember what the device is called. Um, but when I see everything that's going mm-hmm. on in the world today, uh, nationally and internationally, yeah. I feel like I'm viewing things through that portal um, because I feel very removed mm-hmm. from it myself. So I, I have a tough time yeah. like um, uh, just engaging with all my other friends who are going through hell right now because I just feel detached from it. So I'm sorry, I don't want to be a downer, but... Uh, my life is well, it's probably a good way to protect your own sort of mental well-being really isn't it well yeah that's why i haven't been affected hardly and i feel a little bit bad because i, I that's not the way it is for my, the rest of my friends and everybody else i know so yes that's i i think you want to you want to watch the war games you want to make it last as long as you can watch one episode <laughs> a week and i guarantee you the best 10 weeks of your life wow that is saying so that's that might be a bold claim i don't know but I will I mean, watch it. Drag when... that. Oh, I want you to watch the war games. We, you notice how we're, <laughs> we're we're talking around the subject of you know we're talking about anything but Planet of Giants. And <laughs> I wonder if that's significant. No, mm. it's it's no, it shouldn't be. Um, let us get. Let me get try to get back on track to Planet of Giants. Uh-huh. Um, so, like I said, I I got to this and I played it not knowing what at all to expect from the story, and right off the bat. You know, it doesn't take very long into the story to realize it does involve shrinking people. And although there was a couple other (laughs) classic stories that kind of had a similar, um, uh, not gimmick, but uh, device, um, not the Mm -hmm. way it's presented in this particular story. And I never would have expected this type of story, especially during the first Doctor's run. Um, And again, I was going through Hartnell's you know, chronologically at the time. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe it after seeing, you know, the episodes that precede it. I couldn't believe that this is how we were going to kick off the second season of the show. I was delighted from the first moment uh, when I realized what was going on. I just really, really couldn't believe it. And because of my bias, I guess it caused me to enjoy it much, much more, I guess, than the, than the than the standard viewer um, seeing it now, all these years later, for the first time. Because with the preceding Hartnell stories, um, yes, there was some I quite liked or was already familiar with, and there was others where, oh, I just want to get through it, you know. Yeah, you kind of see. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm preaching to the choir out there, but you. You get a feel for what the production was like in that era and and how things yeah. were done and how they present the stories and how the scripts unfold. So you kind of expected certain things. Uh, but, man, this, this miniaturism, oh, my God, it tickled me to no end. I, if anything, I was angry that it only had three episodes and not at least four Um at the time, and and I was simply well, that's a story in itself, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, and I was just simply delighted by it. I mean, just despite its shortcomings, no, no pun intended. Uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan those things. Um, yes, I can still recognize uh, where it lacks as a Doctor Who story on screen. Of course, I'm aware of that, but just the sheer d- visual delight made up. made up for it so much for me um uh, and i hadn't seen it again until now uh 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 you know so it's been nearly 10 years i didn't have quite the same feeling about it now 
but it still mm-hmm. holds a bit of a special place because of my penchant, as uh, Mark says. Just to focus on some positive things, because I, I do get the suspicion we are possibly going to go a bit negative at some point. I think the sets are, when you consider how much money they have, I think the sets are pretty impressive. Particularly the sink. That, for me, was the, the standout. I thought that was really incredible I, for 1962. I, oh, I, I'm going to cut in here. I love the sink. I love that enormous wooden briefcase that they get to play around in. Um, <laughs> I think there were some incredibly well-realised sets. My only problem with mm-hmm. the sink is that when um, Ian and Barbara finally climb down into it, when the water has just drained away... Shouldn't mm. it be a little damp? I oh, wow. I did notice Picky. that upon rewatch, and that is that is quite noticeable Good. now. Um, but I actually, as much as mm. I love the sink, I actually have another quibble with it that I've had <gasps> oh. that I still <gasps> have. <Is> it- <gasps> okay. Well, I mean, okay, I didn't get out a ruler or anything, but um, <laughs> it has bothered me, and it still bothered me that the stopper is too small for the drain. Um, (laughs) That bothers me because I don't know how it could possibly function um, when its circumference is less than the drain appears to be. Okay, I'm not going to let that wreck the whole story for me, but it does bother me as good as it looks that the stopper is a bit... That is an amazing observation. I was just... I was trying to sort of think around the corner of what you could possibly have found fault with there, and I thought surely the the plug wasn't too small for the for the hole. But I mean, when we have this trope over here, probably over there as well, you had one job, you know. And if you're making a sink, what is a sink if it's not a plug and a plug hole in some you know curved enamel? Hmm. So I mean, yes, that is astonishing, but. Uh, very well realised. Um, the matchbox less so for me. That that looked slightly mm-hmm. too too thin. I don't know. I thought the ant and the worm were pretty impressive. I thought they did the job. <laughs> the ant, um, so to speak. The ant was lovely. Um, the worm. Mm-hmm. What I like about the worm is that uh, the doctor and Barbara sort of say goodbye to Ian and Susan. You know, we'll go this way, you go that mm-hmm. way. They walk, and I counted four paces, and suddenly they're confronted by this giant worm that no one noticed a minute ago. Oh, <laughs> hello. Well, I think that a little bit gets addressed in some listener feedback. I've I've been. Um, told about uh in preparation for this uh and i also had things to say about that in general even before i knew about the feedback uh and that just applies to things that um i've already i've thought about before in the hartnell uh, era in particular um not just within this own with this single story but with many stories i'm interested what what particularly grabbed you about this story because obviously we know about your liking for people getting shrunk. What was it about the the plot or the story that really gripped you? Well, okay, to be fair, especially going back to the first time I saw it, I the, the plot or story was neither here nor there for me, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And if you would have asked me what the actual plot or story was, I didn't remember uh, until I watched it now in preparation. And wow. I have more thoughts about that now. 
since obviously I was focusing more on it. But to be honest, it was the first thing and the big thing, again, no pun, was the production values, as we've discussed. I I just couldn't believe Mm -hmm. um, what they were able to accomplish on their budget and on their time and budget. Uh, But also... Uh, like, you know, I couldn't even imagine, because I would love there to be a modern story that somehow uses this device. And there was one story um, during the Matt Smith era, uh, I don't have the title in front of me, but um, that a little bit delved into shrinking of characters. Do you guys remember that episode? No. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think. And uh, nothing, uh, nothing to do uh, with uh, the Master, the by the way. one where they go inside the Dalek, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. I forgot that one. Uh, but it, that's not the one I'm thinking mm. of. That was another good one for that reason. Mm. Uh, no, there was another mm. one with Amy and Rory. Um, I, I can't think of the name of the, t- of the title, but it was the one. Oh, yeah. Um, Night Terrors. Yes, that was it. Um, with oh. the cross father and, and the, the little boy. Yes, and it actually took me a yeah. while when I was watching that episode to to, to grasp what was going on there, um, and and how they had mm-hmm. shrunken down. Um, but but that that one aside, and and, and the Capaldi episode, um, you see, it you wouldn't you certainly wouldn't expect them to do a full on shrinkage story in modern times because you know. Uh, modern art, modern audiences have a certain type of expectation, and it would just it would involve so much, mm-hmm. especially if they are outdoors. See, it's one thing if they're in a dollhouse or inside a fictional Dalek creature. Um, it'd be another thing if they were just out in yeah. the countryside or whatever. I mean, it just seems like it would be extremely difficult to do with modern expectations and everything. So it's just mm-hmm. amazing they could pull something off like this with all the limitations that we understand. Um, at the time, it's it's really mind blowing, and and although you know how they would do it, I was just shocked. Uh, like with the cliffhanger the first time when like when they encounter the cat and and things like that, and it's just or just when they come <laughs> yeah. up that or just when they come across the um the deceased man's face lying on the ground, mm, yeah. and yeah, we get how it's done, but still, I couldn't believe I was seeing imagery like that. In, in 60s black and white Doctor Who it was just mind blowing uh, I just I thought that was really well realised absolutely absolutely um, because I, I don't know where my penchant for this device started but it I think my earliest memory of seeing something like this I mean with shrinkage was uh, I think it, I want to say it's the in, the original um, was it called The Incredible Shrinking Man uh, it was black and white. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys are aware of it. Or I couldn't tell you who started it, but it was a black and white American yeah. film. And I, that I was, know of it. I haven't seen it. That was a movie I saw a lot when I was quite young. And and this mm-hmm. reminded me of that um, because of the black and white and because of in the movie how he encounters some spiders and has to kill them with needles, sewing needles and things like oh that. Oh, God. And it just reminded me of that. And I just couldn't believe... Um, because of the budget and because of the way we know uh, Black and White Doctor Who. Um, now, the story itself, that's something I focused on more, you know, now uh, and really looking at everything. Mm-hmm. And I understand the criticism that is out there. Um, you know, it is a bare bones plot. I think in a lot of ways it's ahead of its time, the whole ecological oh, yes, that's coming through. There's definitely that, and that is surprising uh, because, again, you don't expect it. 
But the actual plot itself, mm. I understand it's rather uh, thin. Um, some people point out, or I had read that a reviewer at the time had said that, had criticized it because our protagonists have virtually no involvement um, with the antagonists. Uh, you know, they don't, it, mm-hmm. they're working independently um, of all that. Yeah. And, you know, it's. <laughs> Of course, you have to stretch your imagination for some of the resolution of of the problem, and it all, it is all rather neatly tied up. I mean, you could just say all this is going on uh, with the lar- the the standard size humans. Their story is going on, and then you could just say it's all foiled by a phone like being left off the hook, and that's really the whole story. Like mm-hmm. if you really you know get down to it, um, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> And and it just kind of it just kind of <laughs> works itself out just like that, but that doesn't bother me at all. Again, I'm super biased towards this one for the aforementioned reasons. So just for the spectacle and the delight of it all, I'm completely on board, and I still enjoyed it, um, despite the easy things people can pick apart. Um, uh, there was something else I wanted to say about all of that. Uh, I don't know. Someone say something and maybe it'll come back to me. Okay. Well, let me let me sort of circle back to our our chat about the cat. So I have two things to say about the cat. Firstly, in extreme close up at the at the cliffhanger, that is the most bored and disinterested looking cat I've ever seen. <laughs> you can tell from its sort of baleful gaze. It's like, what am I doing? <laughs> I wanted to be in Shakespeare. Why am I in Doctor Who? Oh. <laughs> but then there is a shot, um, I think, early on in episode two, where it goes from a close-up of the cat to a long shot of the <laughs> body of Pharaoh. And the cat, mm-hmm. you can see the cat kind of run away from the head end of Pharaoh. Um, as if on cue, as if someone has trained the cat to do that and cats are notoriously difficult to kind of corral and wrangle they won't be trained they won't do rehearsals um so that i think was an incredibly brave decision to even (laughs) attempt to film anything with a real cat um i don't know how long they had a bigger part to play um because this was originally filmed as four parts oh of course Uh, yes i'd forgotten that earlier but a decision was made that it should be cut down to three. So they kind of combined parts three and four, and the cat was unfortunately going to suffer a, uh, an untimely demise because oh, it no, I wouldn't eats have liked some that. of the grain and then pegs out. So I don't know, I'm guessing Eric may have seen this because we both had the DVD version. They have done a kind of reconstruction of parts three and four as a dvd extra i don't did they have that on britbox as well or is it just purely the the three parts i i just yeah it was just the three parts um yeah i had i had no no extra oh dear ah. oh but so did you watch the recon eric or i, I watched some of it because i didn't have due to time constraints not because uh-huh. i didn't want to but that was fascinating in of mm. itself um, I didn't realize that, uh, oh my dear, what's his last name? Um, oh my gosh. Uh, 
who sort of helped organize the whole thing, the remake. What's his name? I feel so bad. Not- Ian Levine. Yes, Ian Levine. I had no idea he had yeah. been doing things like that for the the BBC line of DVD releases since back then. I thought that mm-hmm. was something he started doing a little bit more recently. Had no idea. It was a delightful extra. It's amazing. Mm. Like, I didn't know that extra existed. And it's just amazing to me. Like right. the time and effort all those people put into that. It's ridiculous. Mm. Uh, for a story <laughs> that most people don't highly laud in any type of way. Like... It, it's it's just about as ridiculous as if they made like an animated reconstruction for the three and four that never existed like because that would be ridiculous uh who would do that who would commission that not only did they you know remake it which i understand because there's been many reconstructions of lost episodes we all get that and this was uh-huh. kind of made kind of like that except that they even got the living actors to be involved to reprise their roles that's insane um well here's the thing <laughs> The two living actors that took part in this story are William Russell and Carol Ann Ford. Every other person who was involved as an actor in that production had all passed away. Absolutely. And well, then they had, we, a, we, they had a William Hartnell impersonator. It was... It was, it was in, <laughs> yeah, be, he was very good, actually. I thought he was... Yes, but the fact that they went through all this trouble to make a fan extra that Mm -hmm. most people won't even ever watch either because they won't pick up this particular story and even if they do they may not even Uh click on that extra feature uh it's just wow it's it's it's, mind-blowing that really from my point of view it's such a british thing for something like that to be an extra Mm -hmm. uh, on a on a dvd uh because you don't normally see anything like that with american things unless it's on a criterion movie release that's the only place where you'll see something obscure like seemingly obscure like mm-hmm. that i think it speaks volumes about the people who make the dvd and now the blu-ray sets they're obviously massive fans themselves and they've just put their heart and soul into it uh and they'll just go above and beyond to to try and create some content for yeah and then the f- like-minded fans the fact that ian levine you know fast forward some years made his own like personally mm-hmm. produced recreation of the Shada, um, which was not even used at all. Yeah. That BBC did their own, mm-hmm. which is which is fine. But <laughs> he did the same thing with Mission to the Unknown as well. And it was not aware of that. But it, wow! Then then to do all yeah. that, and then you can never even show it to anyone. Uh, oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. That, well, wow! But uh, it almost makes it, you feel sorry for him, doesn't it? Well, actually, I do. I mean, I don't Almost. know him at all, and I know there's other controversies that involve him as well, like, very um, well noted out there. But despite all that, I do uh, feel sorry for him, d- despite his other uh, less popular decisions. Yeah, hats off to him. It's a really good recon, and yeah, if you get a chance to pick up a copy, I think I don't think it's ridiculously expensive to get hold of these days uh, so, in the um, uk it's not uh, <laughs> a mm-hmm. different matter in the united states because uh, i'm sure you guys know uh, many of the classics were out of print for years the dvds mm-hmm. um they actually started reprinting some of them about a year ago uh so okay. planet of the giants was one of the ones that was out of print um so it probably soared mm-hmm. up to a price of I want to say between seventy-five and a hundred dollars um, to get. Holy Whoa. moly! Oh, that's nothing compared to 
some of the other stories that went out of print, like uh, Planet of Spiders or the War Games, um, many of those topped a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I think or Two Doctors more. was another one, wasn't it? Yes, and and several, several. I mean, probably mm-hmm. I don't know, sixty, seventy percent of the catalog went out of print in the U.S. Um, and then they reprinted some, and Planet of Giants was one of those that got reprinted. Uh, but even those reprints, I think, are now becoming scarce, so the prices are starting to creep up again on the reprints. Um, but a while ago, because of all this out-of-print fiasco, uh, I started uh, seeking out the Amazon UK store a lot more. Thank goodness that's an option for me. So th- yeah. this is one of my classic DVDs that I have the UK version of. Um, so and mm-hmm. and not very not too costly for me to get imported uh, from the UK. Although because of the pandemic, uh, many shipments from Amazon.uk or .co.uk <laughs> took a while. Took a while for this and, or some of the others mm-hmm. I bought prior to this during the pandemic that I needed imported. Well, we appreciate you going to all that effort. Oh my Just pleasure, though. I always, I always <laughs> wanted to own it anyway. Um, and then another technical fact that nobody cares about except for Ming Mongs like me. Can I say Ming Mong? Is that still a appropriate? <laughs> you can say term? you can. But uh, activate the Ming Mongs. <laughs> a technical aspect that nobody else, but few, but me care about is I don't know. You guys know, but because of NT- NTSC versus PAL and how the formats work. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. I mean, you guys know how PAL has always inherently had a bit better resolution than NTSC, um, whether on the air yeah, or on disc. Information Absolutely. In and so now that I own a few uh, classic uh, DVDs um, from the UK side, I can see the difference, actually. Um, mm-hmm. They are a bit clearer. I used to work in an, an electrical store, a Sony dealer. And we used to refer to NTSC as never twice the same color. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, um, well, I can see the difference um, between my UK DVDs mm-hmm. and my American counterparts. And it's it's interesting to me. I mean, it's such a little thing that yeah. most people would never notice. But especially on a large TV television, it makes a little bit of difference. So, yeah, most impressed. And, of course... This this was another momentous story for another reason because it's the very first instance of music being provided by a certain Mr. Dudley Simpson. Yes, I oh. did not know that until three hours ago today. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, and also said that uh, again a, a reviewer from the time uh, uh, in public in a publication from the time. Uh, Said they didn't mm-hmm. like the child, the childish like uh, nature of the score of the music. Um, yeah, I think I saw that too. Yeah, but uh, no, uh, it's delightful. Didn't know it was Dudley Simpson until three hours ago. But also, mm-hmm. I do have a thing for a lot of the incidental music, especially in season one of Hartnell, um, because a lot of it was, I guess, stock sound footage. And yeah. it actually gives it a strange, different feel. Um, I actually like a lot of the early episodes because of that stock music feel. Um, but I don't yeah, know. they got some really groovy sort of music concrete stuff going on, haven't they? Kind of experimental, sort of pre uh, pre digital soundscapes. 
And the one that really springs to mind is the music from the Daleks, the first Dalek serial. Oh, yeah. It sounds very otherworldly, and uh, yeah, it's great. Oh, uh, oh, this is what I was thinking of earlier uh, that I forgot, because mm-hmm. uh, another thing I liked about this episode or story, um, and of course, I, I'm pretty sure this came after it, there is a classic episode of The Twilight Zone um, that is a little bit familiar, uh, not familiar, a little bit similar to this story. Uh, mm-hmm. In a way, do you guys have any idea what what classic episode of Twilight Zone I'm referring to? No, I've seen the odd episode, but I've never. I'm not really that well versed. I'm not well versed either, but those particular but stories, some but, I know mm-hmm. of. There was an episode. I don't have. The Is time there an episode called called uh, Back Garden Tiny Man Cat Peril? <laughs> Was it something like that? <laughs> that is exactly the title. No. Ah, yes. Uh, oh. It, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. I didn't do my due diligence. But it it probably had a title something like The Giant or something or Giant Planet or who knows what. Something like that. I'm going to spoil it mm-hmm. for you guys and everyone else who's hearing this who has never never seen it. But it, again, because of scale, it is one of my all-time favorite black and white Twilight Zone episodes. But here goes the spoiler. Um, fast forward if you don't want to have this ruined. But um, in the story, there appears to be uh, an elderly woman living alone, like in an American country house or something like a farmhouse, um, something like that. Uh, and and based on her 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 style of dress and the way it looks, you're not a hundred percent sure. It could be present day, meaning the fifties, or it could have been prior. Unclear. Because there's not too many things to give away the time period. But um, she lives alone and she's just in her house doing her whatever she does, cleaning, sweeping, whatever. Um, but she starts to think that there's something in her home and she doesn't know what it is. At first you think maybe it's a rodent or something, some small creature. There's little things mm-hmm. happening in her home and she can't explain what they are. And it's starting to make her pretty crazy. Um, because she knows there's something creeping around. Um, and she's going nuts. She's losing her mind, going around chasing these things because, I don't know, little things are falling off the table or she's finding strange little clues. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to spoil the climax. Um, she eventually goes up into her attic um, at the end and she hears some radio communication and you hear someone, like on a radio, uh, by the way, she never speaks in the episode, which is important, but, you know, realize until later. But she goes upstairs and she hears, like, I guess a radio communication. And you hear mm-hmm. an American voice saying something like, I don't know if they actually say Houston, but, um, you know, calling Earth, calling Houston. Uh, uh, we've landed and, and we've encountered hostile, hostile, um, hostile creatures, and giant, hostile giants, and da 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 da. And they're calling like like a mayday. And she discovers there's this, what looks like a flying saucer with a diameter of maybe three or four feet that crash into her attic. Mm-hmm. It looks like a flying saucer, but it has like a American flag on it, United States of America. And oh. she realizes these are these little astronauts who were like around her home. Um, and she finally finds them at the end. I think there's a, and, and, and then she destroys their, uh, their saucer. And that's the end of the episode. But, um, 
uh, this reminds me of that is all I'm saying. And I'm, I'm sure somebody mm-hmm. in the Doctor Who production at the time, because that episode, I don't know, perhaps came out three or four years prior to this. I don't know. Um, and so that was probably mm. in the back of someone's mind. Oh, it's one of my favorites. I just spoiled it for everyone. I'm wondering if, <laughs> if that flying saucer with its um, four foot diameter, if that would have effectively plugged the sink in the laboratory <laughs> and kind of giants. Because I'm, you know, I, I have I have a lot of things to talk about with this, but now that that has been raised up as the kind of big gaping hole in the story, I mean. <laughs> I was I was going to focus my my lamplights on on Mr. Forrester and his very small gun. I think that's probably the smallest firearm I've ever seen anyone use in a uh, an entertainment. Um, but nevertheless, he does use it very effectively to kill Mr. Farrow. Um, and then there's this this insane plan he comes out with, where they're going to put Mr. Farrow back in his boat, send it out to sea. <laughs> And, and make it uh, turn over. And the, and the police will assume that Farrow no drowned. No one would ever know. Like, they won't maybe autopsy him and find an enormous bullet wound in his chest. Ah, but you missed the crucial point. Oh, did I? I he, wondered if I had. Yeah, the, the cunning part of his plan was, mm. which would negate all those things you've just talked about, is that... He pulled his handkerchief out of his pocket right. and put it over the telephone when he made the telephone call. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to put a really... That's ensuring that no one would ever know that it was him on the phone. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. That is that is practically uh, foolproof. Um, mm-hmm. If only he'd... I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine how he didn't get away with this uh, incredibly carefully calculated scheme. Um no, but but yeah, he was. Uh, I can't, I don't know the actor's name, and I uh, I don't need to apologise. He's dead. Um, but um, it was <laughs> for me. Uh, he was a very sort of flat, emotionless, um, again kind of disinterested performance, which made me wonder if perhaps he was maybe a very early kind of Cyberman, in the way that his emotions had been removed. Was that the, was that the f- or maybe he's just a massive psychopath and he didn't really give a toss about anyone else apart from himself? Well, what you're saying there, because obviously he was a businessman, he was someone involved in the uh, sort of medical chemical industry. Um, mm-hmm. He was a successful man. You're saying successful men in that industry tend to be psychopaths. Is that is that is that what you're saying? I'm not saying is that, that. Is Ian, that the accusation you're leveling at? I thought uh, that was exactly what Mark was saying. That's how I read it. I think that's basically Thank what Mark you, was saying. If <laughs> if you're listening and you are the head of a large international pharmacological company and you wish to sue Mark Cockrum, uh, please email in to <laughs> mailbagofrassalon.com. <laughs> now, I, I do have a few faults to pick. I was I <gasps> gave the set some praise, so I'm, I'm trying to be even-handed here. Mm-hmm. Barbara, what on earth was going on with Barbara? Seriously, she's an intelligent woman. She's the smartest cookie out of the whole bunch of them. What the ever-loving Jeff was going on with Barbara? <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, uh, appropriately enough, because I'm called Ian. I'm gonna interpose myself between you and Barbara and say, "How very dare you, sir!" Um, <laughs> she obviously didn't want to cause any trouble by, you know, 
telling anyone no, that no. she I mean, why would you tell something someone that you dangerous. picked up a poisonous yeah. seed and you might be dying? Um, you know what teachers are like. They're, they're, all they can think about is just get through <laughs> this, get to the bell, and then I can go around the back of the bike sheds and have... Uh, a couple of Benson and Hedges. Um, that is exactly every teacher I've ever known. Oh, let me known. hold you up there, Ian. Are you saying that all teachers are just work shy and want to spend all their time hanging around smoking? No, not work shy at all. They 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 have an absolutely horrible. If you're horrible, a teacher and you've been affected by the words of Mr. Ian Martin, they have, you can sue him they have through f- mailbag of Rasslon <laughs> at gmail.com. They have an awful, very hard fifty minute period. They have a nanosecond to go and have a quick smoke, and then they've got another <laughs> another five or six lessons, and then they're up till two in the morning marking and preparing the next day's lessons. I think you're clutching at straws. It's there, only frankly, the smoking, yeah. and it's interesting that you you never see Barbara Orion sort of round the back of the TARDIS having a quick gasper. Um, but <laughs> uh, no, I think Barbara is very good. I think I think um, I want to say Jacqueline Hill. I always get it wrong. Um, I th- I think this was one of her. Um, you know, and they're all good. She's very consistently I mean, brilliant. I think it's just you know, yeah. I think she was absolutely the lines she's been given. absolutely cracking form in this one. There was some beautiful being thrown around in a suitcase acting by uh, young Mr. Ian Chesterton. Are we opening that can of worms now, Mark? Well, why not? Let's so, and regular viewers of this podcast will know that I've I've often had sort of pause with Ian Chesterton and moments of perhaps not being quite as big of a fan of him as 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 pretty much everyone never out mentioned there it previously. But I think he's reached peak bellend in this story he's just <laughs> such a total unrelenting fatalistic old you know drama queen woman kind of oh oh well i might my shoelace has come undone i must do it up but in bending down i might die he's just everything it's like oh i'll do this but this could happen and this would be terrible and you know he can't act like he's being thrown around in a matchbox. To be fair, that's not much of a criticism because <laughs> it's not something you do at Rada, I would imagine. You know, a sort of two-week course on matchbox acting. But you know, he starts the episode. We've had we've had a break. We've had a, a month off. This is the start of series two. We don't know what adventure they might be coming from. But he kicks off the adventure standing around in the TARDIS for no reason in a suit and like he's been to an interview or like he's Alan Partridge he's standing there dressed like that um, it's the 1960s Ian people had standards did, back did then did they though I mean you know mm. you never saw the Beatles dressed like that again if you are look at Barbara she was very well turned out as well wasn't she well I have I have a real problem with that so Barbara's wearing this lovely crisp <laughs> white linen top and what does the doctor mm-hmm. do? He rubs his hand over the burnt end of a match and then immediately claps <laughs> his hands on her upper arms, thus probably ruining her her cotton blouse. If I was her, I'd have punched him across the room. <laughs> I have a couple of things to say to reflect on what I've just heard. Firstly, back to Barbara uh, for a moment. I would say, to be fair, her brain mm-hmm. had been shrunken, so that's one thing. Uh, yeah. Another thing uh, about. I think she was dying from poisoning. Oh, yeah, that too, later. And then with Ian and them and their clothing, I wonder if, because I didn't know this either until I I was preparing minutes before this discussion, um, this was <laughs> the first 
return in Doctor Who in the series at that time. This was the first time they returned to contemporary present day uh, Earth in the show. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. And perhaps the characters knew or they expected that they were going back to present day Earth. So perhaps they were already dressed that way, anticipating that they would be out and about if the TARDIS uh, landed the I mean, way the it was The Doctor's still to. rocking his cloak from the Reign of Terror. Well, you know, the Doctor's the Doctor. Uh, He's pimping it. <laughs> he didn't have the hat, though. I mean, that would have really finished it off. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm headcanoning at least why they're dressed the way they're dressed. Because it is a bit preposterous, but... Well, I, mm-hmm. I could... I love that stuff. I could, I could tear apart your argument like tissue paper if the Doctor's <laughs> still at least three regenerations away from being able to steer the TARDIS and the screen blew up as soon as they landed. They could have had no idea where they were going. So I think Ian just dresses like that because he's a git. <laughs> <laughs> I think both things can be true at the same time. I mean, where do you stand on our Mr. Chesterton? Um, well, here's the thing. I can't disagree with what you what you were saying about him in general, but when I, especially when I go back and watch the Hartnell era, I just roll with things. Otherwise, it would be unwatchable to me. Or I would think any sensible person who's not a diehard Doctor Who fan, it would just outright be unwatchable for the things you point out about Ian and, and many other things. Uh, throughout the era so i just roll with it and i just take it as funny all these things that you're talking about um when i come across them in this story or any story i just think they're funny like when he acts like a git as you say it's just it's (laughs) it's funny to me it's silly it's so silly uh (laughs) but that's just i don't know maybe that's my relationship with uh hardnell era doctor who i don't know i just go with it it's I, I, I think know. it's very... Ian, Ian, look, you just need to realise that Ian Chesterton is a player. He's not a, Don't hate he's a player. He's not a player. Hate the game. He's probably had one girlfriend in his life. So <laughs> I think it's interesting that as as the, the, the Hartnell Doctor beds in and it kind of goes through this softening process, Ian goes the other way. I mean, he, he starts off... The first couple of stories, I didn't actively want to punch him, but he just becomes more joyless and more humorless and more insufferably pompous as the as the series goes on. That might just be my opinion. Um, no, I, I think, don't think, I think it is. That, no, I think it's there. I think it absolutely is there. I just don't have the adverse reaction to it for whatever reason. That's just me. But <laughs> I think it's because there, I'm though. also called Ian, and I feel like he's letting the side down because we're basically a really cool, chilled out, funky bunch of people. But he's just got this broom up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's on the tip of my mind. I know there's other characters like that in in Doctor Who and in other places. I, they're just not coming to me. But I I like oh, the big bird kid characters. What's that? Um, John Pertwee is the kind of next standout, insufferable, pompous twat, I think. Oh, no. I mean, there's definitely that, but he's the doctor. But I meant, like, those characters who are just just don't really realize where they are or what's going on in, in the sci-fi premise that they're in um, and just carry about just like dunderheads. I, 
I don't know. I feel oh, like I... Oh, yeah, no. I, that, I'm entertained that's a, by that. That's an infuriating trope, isn't it? I've always been really... I, I hate that when that happens. And I... In, in terms of, like, sci-fi or fantasy tropes that I can't stand, probably that's my number two. I really can't abide when people are just, like, willfully blind to what's fundamentally obviously happening. My, my number one all-time I-can't-stand-this sci-fi trope is the, the body swap episode where terrible things keep happening to the hero because they're in the body of the baddie and you think oh they're never going to get it back and that just oh that grinds my gears <laughs> you must have really loved quantum leap then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um oh my gosh i don't know i it's all true what you're saying i just i'm more entertained by it than uh, than disgusted i guess <laughs> well i think that reason. makes you a, a that makes you a bigger, better person than me. I'm, I'm just. But then I'm, I'm watching these for the first time, so I'm having the kind of immediate reaction of, say, a four-year-old child, and that's very much the, uh, <laughs> the sort of space in which I operate. You no, know, as anyone can... who knows me or works with me will tell you. Whether it's Doctor Who or other classic film or television, I'm usually really good at adjusting my sensibilities for, you know the time in which the thing originally aired or screened usually. And I, it, it can usually get me through all the eras of classic doctor who, but even I will admit that when we get to the um, sixth and especially the seventh doctor, that even my, my calibration cannot handle those particular eras when it comes to some of the things that transpire. I mean, the seventh doctor is just appalling, isn't it? I mean, that's just, yeah, it started in the sixth uh, and then it just went, completely off the rails in the, in in the oh absolutely right, Cochrane, and- you and me outside <laughs> now this I, I, now, Ian- I'm willing to die on the hill that the seventh doctor is wonderful <laughs> um Colin Baker I yeah no fine absolutely I'm uh, not necessarily speaking about the doctors um, in particular but the stories and sensibilities no, of the characters no, the era, around the them. era yes there is no there's no sense I mean I'm I'm midway through a little rewatch of um well, I started watching all of Tom Baker, and now I'm up to Vengeance on Varos, and I'm finding it such hard going now because it feels like the at that point the show kind of forgot it was a family show, and it forgot it was supposed to be fun, and it was just unrelenting misery and grimness, and and it really lost its way. But I think it came back brilliantly in the in the Seventh Doctor's era. But um, that's a, a fight we'll have in a long time. Whoa, that is a hot take right there. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, I understand the first part of the take, but then to say it came yeah. back with the seventh, that's the hot take part. I, I don't think you can watch season 26 and not think that was quite good. Oh, well, that's the best of his three. I mean, I think most people agree with that. Um, yes, I, and, I, and I also I'm, enjoyed... 20, 20, I mean, with the exception of Silver Nemesis and Elements of Time and the Rani, I think it stands up really well. Um, at the time, I found it unwatchable and embarrassing and appalling, and I couldn't believe this was happening. But, but you know, <laughs> 30 years later, it's brilliant. <laughs> but you didn't mention Delta and the Bannermen? And I I'm like sure Delta other... and the Bannermen. Oh, okay. A person could certainly like whatever individual story or episode on their own. Just like I, I like some unpopular stories. I mean, possibly this one right now, Planet of Giants. But, 
you'd have to acknowledge how everyone else feels about it at the same time as well, I think. Uh, or not. <laughs> because I can't believe it when I watch it now. Uh, I just took it as red at the time when it was new, and you know, it is what it is, but when I watch it now, years removed from, from then, I, I'm beside myself. Um, something that Sean, who I have podcasted with a lot over the years, um, something he used to say long, long, long time ago uh, in podcasting, I can't remember how you would say it, but it was something like he would talk about uh, moments when you're watching classic Doctor Who, let's say at home by yourself, and then you would be embarrassed if a relative or someone just walked in on you. Uh, if if you're watching particular <laughs> certain scenes or certain episodes, uh, you wouldn't know how to explain yourself. You wouldn't you like you would just feel utterly embarrassed if someone just and. That's how I feel about Delta and the Bannerman. If anyone I knew in my regular life who doesn't know, who doesn't give a hoot about Doctor Who, certainly classic Doctor Who, if they just walked in on me and I was just watching this 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 child that was painted green uh, in some type of jumpsuit <laughs> and and just all I I wouldn't even know what this. I'd rather them walk walk in on me actually watching full on pornography. I could much easier right. explain that. Than if Absolutely, I, was I mean that, that doesn't need any explanation. That you'd be you'd be fine. Um, I take your point, and I I do know exactly what you mean. I've sort of gently started introducing my American wife to the concept of Doctor Who, and we've watched probably I don't know one Eccleston, one Tennant, one Capaldi, one or two Jodies. Um, I don't know that I. I mean, I'd, I'd show her some Tom Baker. I'd probably show her some McCoy, but the thought of her ever knowing that the Colin Baker era happened, I would be so mortified that she'd just look at me and say, but, but this show that you've devoted your life to is palpably <laughs> rubbish. And I would have no argument. <laughs> um, but uh, she should be fine with the new series. It, 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 it has gone beyond mainstream, even the United States at this point. So, mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, so that should that shouldn't be a hard sell. Ian, surely you can come up with something positive to say about Planet of Giants. Uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and I totally loved it. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I, I, th- I, th- I feel like it could quite easily have been a four-parter because it was just constant peril and constant spectacle, and you know, yeah, the effects don't look so good on our HD ultra crikey brilliant screens of today but they it would have looked absolutely amazing and mind-blowing on the kind of four inch television I still set. think it looks pretty good yeah to be fair. I, th- I think I mean, so I'm in that mindset of watching old TV but I so I, you know there were a couple of kind of interesting performances but nothing you could actually fault I mean as much as I joked about uh, Forrester being a bit emotionless you absolutely mm. would be. He is a murderer. He is a psychopath. Yeah. Um, I think I think you can explain just about everything. Even Susan. I mean, she only had one line, which was <laughs> she points and screams grandfather. But she does that with aplomb. Um, Hartnell's doctor. Um, again, he's he's had a little break. He's happier. He's he's you know more more childlike, more inquisitive. He was wonderful. Um, that Chesterton was in it, um, and the <laughs> the sets, everything was remarkable and realised really well. And I've I've not probably I'm I'm no connoisseur of the um, 
the scale up or scale down television trope but I've seen it done mm. a lot worse um, and I, I genuinely really love this story oh well, there you go oh excellent I'm, I'm glad that you're on board with it Eric yes uh, everyone knows where, where, where does this stand in your um, estimations in terms of the other stories Doctor Who stories that have the kind of shrinking of the the main characters is this oh that's difficult that's difficult because it is very different from the others in that Mm -hmm. it by and large deals with contemporary earth england of the period and the others are for Mm -hmm. the most part much more sci-fi oriented um you know carnival of monsters invisible enemy let me rephrase it then is there is there a story that just is head and shoulders above all the others in terms of it just ticks all the boxes for you in a let's make the characters tiny way? The way I... Oh, it does in that sense. But the way I think about it is it was one of my most enjoyable experiences of going through the Hartnell episodes, the existing ones. And everyone knows why, as aforementioned. But would I call it one of the mm-hmm. best Hartnells? I don't know. Like, if I really, really critically wanted to think about it, probably I wouldn't say that. But it's, it's definitely was one of my mm-hmm. favorite to watch and always happy to rewatch it. And it's really easy because I can get... I can get bored and disinterested, of course, when watching other Hartnell stories. Um, not all of them, but some of them. And... It obviously keeps me in. It's only three episodes, so you know it's not even that much of a commitment. Mm-hmm. And um, no, there's nothing for me to get disinterested in. Again, uh, largely because of the visual spectacle. Um, even though you could you could pick away at the uh, you know the thin plots and the and the characters only having incidental uh, um, interaction with the plot and and the physical things going on in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter. I. It's amazing to me what they did with the constraints of the production and of the story. Because how do you incorporate them yeah. having any interaction at all? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just remarkably well done. I think all things considered, um, it, you just you wouldn't even know how to pull this off if if you had the the t- the the budget and time constraints and the technological limitations of the era. And if someone just said, "Here, I want you to produce this for television," what? How? How in the world even? No, it's, it's impossible. It's preposterous. Um, but I think they pulled it off, all things considered. I did have one other little nitpick, um, which was, uh-huh. I don't know, maybe um, water drains uh, work differently in England than they do, uh, the way I understand them in, in America. But I couldn't <laughs> really work out how uh, Susan and the doctor climbed up the drain and how that got them into the into the house or or whatever i don't know how that works Mm -hmm. because if that was in the united states that would take you to the roof presumably and i don't know where you go from there good point (laughs) yeah and i couldn't figure that part out because a drain doesn't normally go into the inside (laughs) so that was a little quibble i had because i i felt like oh they needed a better way because because that's to suspend my disbelief completely unless again uh water drains work differently in england than the way i understand them 
uh, I couldn't I, really work I think that point maybe out. we should as- we sh- we should assume that in when they had to truncate episodes three and four, maybe there was this <laughs> long sort of fantastic journey element <laughs> where they they okay. went up to the roof and then they got into the the attic and then they got into the water tank and then they went down through the plumbing and they had some a bit of business at the stopcock um but but all that was lost due to time constraints and maybe they just sort of uh or or maybe they fucked up i don't know (laughs) but other than that i mean yeah i just love it to bits i really do and mark yes what uh, what did you what what's your uh, abiding opinion of this one I quite enjoyed it. It's just a change of pace, isn't it? It's something a bit different because, you know, you get locked into that pattern of, you know, going into the historical and then doing a futuristic one, then historical and futuristic. So it's nice just to have something that breaks that mould and does something a bit different. So, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, You know, I mentioned being slightly critical of Barbara's sudden stupidity. But uh, other than that, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Cool. So, should we should we mark it? I think we should. Yes. Okay, Eric. Out of ten. Oh. Um. Hmm. I'm not good with the ten scale because uh, I I do it in five and then I convert it to ten. <laughs> kind of like I had to convert my uh, my marks from NTSC to PAL. Um, well, maybe because because this is a smaller episode, <laughs> maybe we should shrink the numbering options and do it out of five and then scale it up. Uh, okay, because I, I, it's in much post. easier for me to think in increments of five than to ten. Because um, on the five scale, and of course this is just my personal bias included, this sounds a little bit even for me sounds a little bit crazy uh, I'm gonna give it a four a four um, so I guess that converts to an eight okay on the, on, on the metric uh, mm-hmm. scale so yes <laughs> okay uh, well I'm gonna go for a 4.5 which converts to a nine. Ooh, wow yeah. wow you really liked I it I really did I feel like I'm going to let you guys down a bit then. I am going to give it a 3.5. So that scales it up to a 7. Mm. So I did enjoy it. It's not the greatest story ever, but it's fun for what it is. And it's a nice diversion from the norm. Well, you can't say fairer than that. Another comment I want to make about the episode and just the era in general is that I felt it when I was watching the whole season one and going to season two that... I liked that in that early era, a lot of it was them just finding themselves, you know, with producing the show, but I liked how even more Doctor Who felt like an anthology show at that time. It's always been that way, but mm-hmm. it, I liked because um, the productions could be so different, uh, you know, again, stop talking about the stock music yeah. and, and just the way things were shot and produced. Uh, I really liked how... Um, like the Forrest Gump analogy, it was like Doctor Who very much was like a box of chocolates to me uh, when I was revisiting all that this era because you really didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. in terms of tone and everything. Um, whereas things, even though Doctor Who remained an anthology show and still had very varying stories, um, things became more homogenized, I guess, later in the classic period when they yeah. were just used to making things the way they made things. Um, and it's not really... 
until I guess when you get to McCoy and then especially the new series when again you get that real different you don't know what to expect every week and I love that about Doctor Who when it Mm -hmm. really ramps that up when oh I didn't like this one but it could be totally different next week um so I I like that about the classic era because episodes really do feel really yeah that's a really good point yeah if you just go from like the original story like from an earthly child to the tribe of gum and all that business mm-hmm. and then of course the, the first dalek story and then what is it he's a marinus next if you watch all those back to back to back wow it the show is all mm-hmm. over the place and i look at that as a positive when i revisit that oh it's all good you know it's the variety like you say it's, it keeps your interest and that's one of the nice things about this whole rewatch is just to um and get into the context of it as well and you know you it feels like there's a, that bit more sort of through line of continuity having seen them in order, which is um, just gives it an extra level again for me anyway. So anyway, I think we've had our say now, so I think we should go to some listener feedback. I've got mail. So we've had some more audio feedback this time. We've got a message from our friend Ben Schneider down in Indiana. Listen, I know we have a worldwide pandemic going on and people are wanting to wash their hands more, but please, people, for cripe's sakes, before you wash your hands, check the sink for tiny people. And don't flush your Susan. And thanks for that, Ben. Uh, Ian, who have you heard from? So, very excitingly, we've heard from uh, some guy called J.R. Southall, or Southall, I'm not sure, who says... (laughs) Name sounds familiar, rings a bell. (laughs) Uh, The best thing about uh, Planet of Giants is its evocation of place, the almost genuine sense of having shrunk the regulars. As such, it would have worked much better much earlier as part of the dislocation of the schoolteacher's storyline, which had basically petered out by this stage. Which is a good point, um, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's a nice way to kind of ease the viewer back into the show, you know, back in for a, a second series of this thing it's it's i i I like the way it had a a fairly gentle vibe um the crinoid podcast oh i've got all the celebrities our friend jim um says perhaps it's better where it is in the sense that they're coming to terms with time and space travel only to be hit with this left field development which you know yeah i think we we alluded to that earlier it it breaks up that. that monotony um, so I agree yeah. with that. Um, and Greg Cox, again on Twitter, um, very, very pithy review. He's obviously in a bit of a hurry, didn't have time for a, a great <laughs> uh, a great outpouring of emotion. Just said simply, great sets, dull story. Well, that's concise. <laughs> All right, thank you for that. I've got another comment from Jim from the Crinoid podcast. Uh, he says... Brilliant sets and a decent ecological message, but the full-size characters are a bit odd and it's frustrating to watch Barbara almost dying because she doesn't want to make a fuss. Yeah, I'm with you all the way there, Jim. Uh, We've also heard from uh, Russ from the Gallifrey's Most Wanted podcast. And they say, I like the ambition of the story. It's flawed in some ways for me. The sets are as good as they could be. No worse than Erwin Allen's Planet of the Giants a few years later. Was that Land of the Giants or Planet of the Giants? I forget. forget. But yeah, no, they make a really good point there. Eric, who have you got there? Let's see. I have from Impossible Blog, 
sorry, I don't have your Twitter handle in front of me. But they say, The sets are fantastic, but I don't really understand why the production team were so keen to do a shrinking story. The plot's not great either, and some of the guest cast are very inconsistently written, especially the scientist. Um, it's interesting. Everyone loves all the sets, as do I. Um, and I don't know if they, if the production team themselves were actually keen on the shrinking story just because of the the technical challenges it, it would it would incur. Um, yeah. But nice that they still use this story that, as discussed, was discarded as the original um, uh, opening story for the whole entire mm-hmm. show. So I'm glad they got back to it. Um, yeah, and we've kind of talked about the plot as well. Uh, you're either you can either deal with it or can't, I guess, as a modern viewer. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, I can. I fall into that camp. Uh, next up, mm-hmm. I have from at Hamfisted Bap Vendor, which I don't even know what that means because I'm not sure what Bap is. Um, <laughs> but um, they say too often derided for a relative thinness of plot, but I always find plenty to appreciate. In parentheses, and I'm fond of the slow reveal style of this era as the team explore their surroundings. Close parentheses. Q6 sets are, of course, enduring things of beauty, a remarkable achievement. Um, I'm glad this person brought this up about the slow reveal because mm-hmm. that was the yeah. one of the biggest things I noticed myself when I was going through all of the Hardinal era. And I'm a little bit curious what you gents think mm-hmm. about it. Uh, because when I first started noticing it on my own in earlier stories than this one, it, it, it I had to suspend my disbelief. Uh, obviously, I can understand they're on small sets as it is. Um, because mm. my first question is, why are they just reacting to these things? Because the camera is panning to it. Because these things were obviously in front of the actors. Um, before the camera pans, <laughs> yeah. it's as yeah. if they know they're being seen <laughs> or, or something. Uh, uh, you'll yeah. notice this a lot if you just mm-hmm. go back to like uh, the original Dalek story. Um, as soon as the camera reveals something, oh my gosh, look, what's that? What's that petrified creature that's been sitting there mm-hmm. the entire time in front of everyone? Um, so <laughs> it really threw me at first when I was going through the era myself. I have made peace with it. I understand it. Now I just kind of chuckle to myself whenever mm-hmm. I notice it in other stories. How do you guys feel about all that? I kind of liked the the slow reveal in this one where it built up to that sort of synchronous moment where both pairs of the TARDIS crew realised what was going on at the same time. Although... I thought it was, and we're back to that trope about people being willfully obtuse, where Chesterton says, you know, his theory that everything's massive, and Susan says, no, no, I don't think that's true at all. And he sort of folds his arms and goes, well, what's your theory then? And it's like, well, come on, mate, Occam's razor. If If she's saying the things aren't massive, then by definition, she's saying, you've shrunk, don't be such a pompous twonk I'm, I'm beating that drum again I'm so sorry I've really I just oh I just want to smack it so funny <laughs> I do like a lot of retro TV I watch quite a bit in 
different programs and I think you just kind of get into a bit of a mindset and I just kind of switch over to that 60s sensibility and I don't think it really bugs me that much whereas I can imagine for someone who's used to watching particularly new Doctor Who and then trying this out for the first time they might really see a jarring difference but um yeah I think I've just become a sort of uh I don't know blinded to it I guess interesting because I I can never fail to notice it when I encounter it um like I said I just can kind of just giggle at it now but I am always keenly aware of of and it's such a a staple and a mark of the earlier era of Doctor Who in particular but okay I'm just glad someone brought it up so we could talk about it. (laughs) Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Always my pleasure. Uh, Please, uh, listeners to the show, uh, send the host uh, copious amounts of feedback so that perhaps this could happen again sometime. I would be delighted. (laughs) Well, of course we'll have you back. Do you want to give a little plug to anything you've got on the go at the moment before you could disappear? I will just simply say that if you really really love uh movies in general especially older movies um do check out the latest thing i've been doing on a consistent basis which is the best picture podcast with sean who used to be part of tardis tavern back in the old days um we have a lot of fun Mm -hmm. talking about um old uh oscar nominees from from random randomized years and so definitely that's the best place to find me and i'm still the odd uh appearance i still have that on the whole sci-fi party line as well so there you go and who knows yes that's right yeah maybe there's more doctor who and star trek from me in the future but i'm not going to talk about that yet maybe one day you will come back yes one day (laughs) thanks again for listening and uh, we'll be back next time with another encounter with the daleks so until then i was mark i was ian i was eric And until next time, don't panic. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at mailbagofrassalon at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Time and Space Pod. And you can also find us on Facebook. If you want to leave some audio feedback, there is a link in the show notes. You can use your phone or your computer and leave up to 60 seconds of feedback. Or if you're listening via the Anchor website, you can click on the message button and leave your audio. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you to Momo Tempo for providing our theme music. <laughs>